Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Ego Chat Podcast. My name is Preston Byers and as always I'm joined by my co-host Justin Binkowski and on today's episode we are going over champs. The CDL season has finally finished. Uh, the $2.55 million tournament uh, was held in Los Angeles this past weekend and we have a new Call of Duty World Champion. They are the Los Angeles Thieves. Um, but before we get into the entire tournament, we talk about what happened and what shocked us and what didn't shock us uh, about this Vanguard season. Uh, how are you doing, Bink? I'm doing well. Uh, like you said, it was pretty entertaining tournament. A couple uh, minor delays in there, depending on your definition of minor. But, um, you know, all things considered, it was a banger of an event, and I'm looking forward to talking about it here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it was an incredible event, especially the first day or two. Uh, we had five straight game fives. Um, the first five matches all went to a fifth and final game in the series, uh, which is frankly ridiculous. And I looked it up and I put it in, I think, Slack. And I said, like, uh, all of last year's champs had, like, five uh, game fives. Um, in the entirety of champs. So uh, a, a really contentious and very competitive tournament uh, throughout the weekend. But the team that came out on top, uh, as I said at the top of the show, the Los Angeles Thieves, the only team to win more than one tournament this season. Uh, they finished off with a major four victory. Um, and then they, uh, well, they finished the regular season off with the major four victory, and then they came to champs and they beat the Atlanta phase, uh, who, uh, we'll get into it, um, a little bit later in the show, but this is their fourth second place finish at the, at a land tournament this season. Um, and then th the other land tournament, they finished third. So, uh, a really a heart wrenching, heartbreaking season for Atlanta, but let's start with the thieves, um, the four players that won this championship, uh, it is each of their first uh, first of their uh, world championships. Um, and uh, Kenny, uh, who played just absolutely incredible all uh, weekend long, he was named uh, the CDL Champs MVP. Um, I'm not sure where you want to start with the Thieves. Um, I think all around they were incredibly consistent like far more consistent than we had seen throughout the entire year um, that was definitely something that we had talked about how they didn't look like a top level team um, but what do you what do you think changed for this team or what did what most impressed you about the thieves as they went through champs and they ended up winning it yeah, I mean, I think the most obvious answer to the what's changed, well, I guess there could be two. Um, the big one, though, is obviously the role change for Kenny from an AR to a sub. I feel like that just um, really, it might not have shown right away when they made the change, but um, obviously it paid huge dividends for them in the last two tournaments of the year. Um, also worth pointing out the addition of Shane, I feel like, um, mm -hmm. again, I would have to go back and look up exactly when they added him and stuff, but I feel like since they brought him into the coaching staff, um, he made a huge difference just based on the results, uh, of the team. Um, before we go any further, I think that's also worth mentioning too. Obviously, you know, shout out Kenny, Draza, Envoy, and Octane all winning their first rings, like you said. Um, I think it's worth mentioning too that for a while, the conversation was, um, 
Yeah, if the question was ever posed, who's the best COD player to never win champs, I feel like the answer before this tournament was Octane. He was certainly up for debate in terms of being in that position. Now he's got his ring, so you know you look at other players, um, and that could be a conversation for us on another show. But um, I just I feel like that's worth mentioning. It's also worth mentioning that JCap now joins Crowder as the only people to win COD champs as both a player and a coach. Um, and Shane, you know he I I don't remember. Um, the exact length of it, but I know for a while there was a stretch where it was like him, Clayster, and would it, it wouldn't have been Krem. I don't know. There, there was you might know this because I feel like you wrote it, but like there was like three guys, and it was like Clay, Shane, and somebody who had attended every million dollar tournament. And the reason like that cut out people was because of like uh, Scump not playing in COD XP. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember who the third. I I feel like it's Tommy, but I don't remember it being it, yeah, both Tommy it, and Shane. Yeah, it was it was Tommy. Tommy was on okay. Apex. Yeah, that so that's that's why I remembered it because Tommy was on the Empire's uh, bench for 2020, but he didn't play. So that's kind of when his streak ended. Yeah. Yeah. So it was for a while there there was a streak going on for Shane because obviously Shane competed in the older days of COD for those who might not be. Um, as longtime fans of competitive COD, that's who Shane's roots are from, and now um, he has a ring as a uh, coach. So that's pretty cool. And obviously, you know, Nade Shot gets a ring. You can, you know, put it up for debate exactly what that means since he's getting it as an owner, and that's a little different than getting it as a coach. I think obviously, um, it would be ignorant to, you know just say Nate Shot now has a ring and like have that affect his like playing career how people look at that his playing career when you know I at least the coach is interacting with the players every single day um and you know having an input I feel like um Nate Shot might have been involved behind the scenes with the COD team just because of his background in COD but um still he nevertheless he get the ring same with Mud Dog um just just all around a lot of people to congratulate it's a pretty cool storyline um you know, heading into this event, I was kind of, I, I was pretty on the fence about the Thieves. I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to pull it off again. Um, but obviously, they proved me wrong by doing it. And the fashion in which they did it is pretty impressive because um, they had to beat Phase twice at Champs, which they also beat Phase twice at um, Major 4. So in both of their titles, Phase went 0-4 in matches against the Thieves, which is pretty impressive if you consider... Uh, phase's stature in the league and how just how consistent they were this year yeah they not only beat phase twice but they beat optic um they were uh, uh it was a, a sweep it was pretty dominant on the thieves end and i just think that kind of cements it like it i mean nobody's really going to take it away from them um because like regardless of who they beat because I mean, it's it's difficult to win these tournaments, especially as as much as we've heard about how Vanguard is just difficult to play in general. Um, but the Thieves, they they beat uh, Boston very close series, and then they uh, really walked over Optic. They looked really really good against Phase in the winners finals, like much stronger than uh, I expected. And in the grand finals, they were a map away from sweeping it. So um, they were you know, lights out the entire tournament. And, um, I just, I can't say enough about all of these players because I know 
if you go back three or four months on the show, I'm just like this roster, like what's going on? Because you expect a lot out of him because Octane, like you mentioned, probably the best player not to have won champs uh, before this tournament. Kenny is probably up, was probably up there as well because he's just so talented. Um, and you know, I really think uh, Envoy and Draza round out this roster well. And I thought on paper they looked like a competitive team, but they didn't prove to be very competitive for most of the season. But I don't know, something clicked, and that's it, it happens sometimes in champs uh, around champs time. We saw it with Evil Geniuses, and uh, I believe it was 2018. That roster was not very good at uh, certain points of the season, but by the end of the year, by the time that champs came around, they were clicking on all cylinders, and it didn't really matter what happened You know, a month or two before that. They were able to push through and win champs, and uh, it's kind of similar to what the Thieves went through. Um, you had Kenny make this mid-season role swap that was essentially in place of a roster change because the thieves made so many roster changes last season to the point that people were just memeing jcap about like him you know just like throwing a dart at a dartboard and like okay who's getting benched this week like that's what they were up uh, against last season and this season they didn't make a single roster change they decided to stick with it despite you know going into major four there was a chance that they wouldn't even make champs um they were really in a, I, th I believe they were maybe in seventh place. So they are very much in danger of not even qualifying for champs. But when you win major four and then you go to champs and uh, I wouldn't say dominate, but I definitely like decisively win the tournament. Um, I think there's just a, a lot of credit to go around and, uh, you know, to the coaching staff, obviously, like you said, Shane came in mid season and he seemed to, you know, I, I don't know how much, you know, um, how much say, how much influence he has on the actual team because the coaching stuff is always kind of vague about how much input is being given and how much um, is actually on the coaches. But their results were significantly better since he came into the to the coaching staff. So, you know, you could give him credit there. And J-Cap, people were calling for his head. Uh, you know, last season and in the off season and into this season, people wanted him to be fired and replaced by someone else. But I, I just think that, um, you know, being loyal and sticking to your team, it seemed to work out. We see it with the, the top four teams at this event, what do they all have in common. None of them made roster changes. Like, and of course you don't make roster changes when you're good, but there were times that the surge definitely could have made roster changes. Times that the the thieves could have made roster changes. Probably not optic or phase. You know, optic did have a substitute, but I, I think that has to be you know at least mentioned that you know they stayed loyal and they were able to you know churn out that consistency that you need at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, I don't know where exactly to start but i just i know you mentioned the optic thieves match i wasn't trying to uh hop to that just yet but that was certainly yep. an eye-opening one for me um especially you know the first map of that series was like a 60 point club on hard point yeah. that was kind of like the like you know okay this is this is the thieves tournament to lose at this point it was really eye-opening to me and you know 
I I still was we we were doing our pickums. I was still picking phase, but in the back of my head, I was like, this is I I could easily see. Uh, the thieves winning this matchup against FaZe the first time, and then even for the grand finals, I was thinking, you know, I, I really thought the thieves had a better chance to take it than FaZe, but I was just I was sticking with FaZe till ride or die till the end there. Um, but it is worth mentioning, I guess this can get started on like uh, talking about the actual matches. Is that the Boston LA Thieves series? I feel like isn't being talked about enough, just because I know I personally said it on our preview show that like looking at the first four round matchups I was like I, I said that I thought uh, LA Thieves versus Boston could be the only one that was a 3-0 I was expecting that to be the most like um, landslide of a first round match out of all the other ones mm-hmm. uh, because you know New York was coming off their Cinderella run um, so I wasn't exactly sure how they were going to match up with FaZe I was saying that one could go either way then we had Optic versus Toronto Toronto may have been having struggles as Optic were as well but they've always played each other hard in their previous matchups and then Seattle or uh Seattle one day we were both kind of on the fence because both teams were struggling heading into champs um so we were saying that could go either way and be a longer match for other reasons but um yeah on paper I, that's what I was thinking like this possibly could could have been LAT 3-0 over Boston, but Boston played them really hard, and it came all the way down to game five, round 11. And, you know, if obviously that's, you know, a big if, but if the round 11 goes Boston's way, we're looking at a completely different tournament here. Yeah, definitely. I I, I think we kind of hit the nail on the head around the first round matches for the most part about how they looked evenly matched. Uh, like you said, London, Seattle, both teams are struggling. So we're not really sure who's going to, you know, like be able to take advantage. Um, Optic t- uh, Toronto, we both thought like these teams are relatively evenly matched, uh, especially with Optic not having, you know, a great run of it uh, recently. And then with Atlanta, New York, we both thought that might have been like you know, the match of the first round because New York just finished second at Major Four. They've been really trending upward, and FaZe has been consistently, you know, a top two, top three team this entire season. And I think all of these matches delivered. Of course, we had Game 5, Round 11 in the Optic versus Toronto series and the LAT versus Boston series, so those are a little heightened. But all uh, four went to Game 5, and I think that just... I mean, obviously, part of that is Vanguard. Um, you know, like the there's, you know, it's inconsistent or whatever. You can't really get as, um, you know, like as uniform of results, uh, so to speak. But I think ultimately, it was also these are eight pretty good teams. Like, of course, I think that Boston and London were like a level below everyone else, but I think and Toronto probably as well. But those teams were definitely worthy and deserving to be there, and they proved it. They showed that they could win those series. They were um, even, uh, you know, I think Boston and London, I'm pretty sure, finished, um, you know, bottom two, so they didn't win a match. But they, you know, London went to two straight game fives, the same exact scenario that they were in for major four, where they went to, 
um, game five in the winner's bracket, game five in the loser's bracket, and still lost both series. They did it again here. Uh, Boston, um, they they were kind of the unfortunate ones not to force a game five in the loser's bracket round one. But um, all in all, I think the first round really you know, it got me excited for what was going to come in the rest of the weekend. And the thieves at that point on Friday or on Thursday, excuse me, I did not expect to be, you know, calling the thieves world champions because I didn't think very highly of Boston coming into the the tournament. And they really struggled putting them away, went to round 11, were able to pull that out. But then they play optic and everything changes as soon as they play optic. Um, they just absolutely blitz them. Like I, I mean, it's, it's happened. Um, I think we've talked about it on the show before uh, where one team will go, you know, hundred point club and then the other team will win six, one six Oh on search. It's kind of happened a few times with the optic LAT series. And it was just another instance of that happening here. Um, I have it up here real quick, and LAT they beat Optic two fifty to uh, to fifty eight on Gavutu Hardpoint. Obviously, you don't chow LAT on Gavutu, but I mean Optic tried; it didn't work. Uh, the The other two games were pretty close. But um, what what do you think of this when uh, LAT beat Optic? Because that's really when it started like turning in my head, like maybe I shouldn't be picking against LAT all the time. Yeah, that's what I alluded to earlier was that this was the, the turning point for me in my head. Um, in particular, the map one that was just super eye-opening, and that's why I was like, damn, I'm, I can see Thieves going all the way now. Um, and certainly, you know, you can't – it's tough to, like, seriously say that after just one map. Um, the fact they had such a dominant map one win and closed out the sweep, though, I think that just cemented it for me in my head, and I was like, okay, this is – you know, the thieves keep playing like this. Nobody's beating them. And it turned out to be true. Yeah. And I I was, I still picked, I think I still picked FaZe in the winner's bracket over Thieves. Um, because I, I was, I, I thought, and I don't know why I thought this, but I'm like, Atlanta has beaten LAT pretty much almost every time they played this season. I think maybe barring like the last result, you know, at major four or something like that. Um, and FaZe had just beaten Seattle in a really tight series, but Seattle had been a team that FaZe had struggled with throughout the year. So I thought maybe Atlanta had kind of gotten over some of the things that was hold, uh, w that were holding them back, and they were able to beat LAT. Turns out, not the case. Um, the Thieves were actually just so much better and i i just like they they 100 point clubbed atlanta on berlin hardpoint uh, to close out the series which is one of the most emphatic defeats i've ever seen atlanta suffer um other than maybe champs 2020 grand finals where dallas just completely rolled over them like it wasn't very close um but yeah that was a what what did you think of that because i was absolutely stunned to to watch LAT beat Atlanta like that. I, I think it's even more noteworthy. It, it's back-to-back -back Berlin's. They win. The Thieves take the control 3-0, and then they get the, you know, the 100-point club in Berlin hardpoint back-to-back. -back. You combine those two. That's, that's 
pretty unprecedented. I would, you would obviously have to go back and look. Um, but I would be very surprised if there was a similar instance of that for FaZe this year where they lost uh, two maps like that back-to-back in such convincing fashion. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, like, like I said, even heading into this match for the sake of our pick, um, um, I was still going with phase, you know, the cool storyline of phases, you know, you can say quote unquote redemption, but still it'd be redemption from like second place. So, yeah. um, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, it's phases, the, the storyline of phase trying to go back to back as, uh, the same lineup winning champs in consecutive years. That was pretty cool to me. And I, that's what I was sticking with. But even in heading into this match, I was more so thinking that the thieves had this one. And um, one thing worth pointing out, I, we're not going to get into phase too much this year. We're still talking about the thieves here, but we did point it out on uh, the major four show, how, just how much Atlanta was playing Tuscan at major four and it seemed to be still a trend here at Champs. They played it three times in their first-round matchup against New York, and then they played it three times again against the Surge, and I don't know what map five was for this Thieves series, but obviously it didn't matter because they played Tuscan Surge, so they played it um, twice against the Thieves. So that's still, in their first three series, they played Tuscan eight times. Um, so it was still a map that they were willing to play a lot and they seemingly wanted to play it a lot, um, obviously, depending on how the vetoes went and whatever. Um, and, you know, it went their way sometimes, didn't go their way in others. And then in this case, they were able to take the Tuscan hard point against uh, the Thieves. But other than that, Thieves took the Tuscan search and then the two Berlins and were headed to the grand finals. Yeah, the grand finals, best of nine, uh, real... Really no advantage for LAT, uh, you know, controversial uh, as it is. I, I mean, other than I the one map veto, uh, like... Well, they get advantage. two because they added the control. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I screen grabbed it. Hold on. Yeah, so they... I mean, that's been a, a theme or, like, a talking yeah. point for a lot of people this season is that... You know, you get through the winner's bracket, you you go into grand finals without a loss, but in the eyes of many viewers, they don't get the advantage because in past iterations of the, uh, you know, the CWL or MLG, if you came from the winner's bracket, you had to be beaten in two consecutive best of five series typically, or you got a map advantage or what have you, but some kind of, you know, concrete you know, actual advantage. Um, but I think you have it pulled up for your, uh, for the veto. So what's the, yeah. what's the advantage so, they have? So they get to veto two maps. And although I don't, I, I, I've even said it when we've talked about this in the past, I don't think the vetoes is enough of an advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But then you get into the argument of, you know, that is the two best of fives too complicated or whatever. Although I disagree with, um, the league on that reported stance that they might have um, in in the sake of this particular format when we didn't have Berlin control and the map pool teams were only getting one veto um, as their advantage and that certainly just wasn't enough. Two map vetoes is, you know, it's obviously double what they were getting beforehand, but I still don't know if it's enough of an advantage. All I'm saying is in this particular matchup, it was a huge advantage for the Thieves because they got to veto Bokage Hardpoint, which I don't have the stats pulled up, but that's one of FaZe's 
best hardpoint maps. They played it a ton throughout the season, and a lot of teams just couldn't match their gun skill on Bokic hardpoint. And you, you could argue, you know, that would be a, a an unfavorable matchup for the Thieves, especially with, um, you know, Selium's ability to switch to a sub and still just be an absolute stud, just demon on the map. Um, and then Tuscan control was the control they were able to uh, veto. And as I was just alluding to a couple of minutes ago, Tuscan control or Tuscan has been a very heavily played map by FaZe. And I, I feel like we were talking about it last time. They they went on like a, a little streak, a win streak on Tuscan control in particular at major four in their losers bracket run. Um, so I know that those are two good maps for phase, which obviously when you're in a position like this and you just get to get rid of two maps um, like the Thieves were, that's obviously a great job by them to get rid of these two maps that were in theory could have been very heavily favored for. Um, Atlanta. So you can get into the whole argument of is it enough of an advantage, all that. I'm not saying that's the case here. Uh, all I'm saying is in this particular showdown between Thieves and FaZe, the two maps that the Thieves were able to uh, veto was a very big advantage for them. To that I mean, I'm not saying it's the reason they won or anything like that, because obviously Thieves still played incredible. Um, but I still think that it's, you know, a very big factor because if these two maps were in play, um, they could have went the way of phase and who knows what happens in the series then. Yeah. I, I agree with you that um, the veto is typically not a great enough advantage. I personally think it should be maps. Like I, I don't know the exact way to do it, but I, I feel like it's wrong if say the thieves beat phase three, one in the winner's finals and then they go to the grand finals and phase wins 5-4. Like I don't think that's right because Thieves had already they they, bear, they basically have a two map advantage already. Like they should have some kind of, you know, advantage that ties into what they've already went through. Um or, you know, After, back or, in the day they had the best of 11 continuation yeah. series. Yeah, I kind of like the good that. Old days. Yeah. I I really like that. <laughs> I just don't think we have enough viable maps to do it and i do like i i really do think that if call of duty had 15 competitive maps you know like you could rotate them in and out but i think that would be a way to do that where you have you could even just increase the series length like the the base series length instead of best of five like i know it used to be like best of seven best of nine in some cases that weren't just you know grand finals so uh, we could do that but um i'm getting sidetracked a little bit uh back to your point about bokage hardpoint and tuscan control bokage hardpoint atlanta phases best hardpoint 14 and 6 throughout the season before grand finals um tuscan control atlanta phases best control map so the thieves got to veto not just like some of the best maps but literally the best map in hardpoint and the best map uh in control for atlanta which you know generally i would agree you know the veto doesn't really have a big oh i i can't say it doesn't have a big impact but it is not as big as you know you would like especially for a grand finals and for a team that had already beaten the other team heading into the grand finals. But in this case, it turned out to be a really big deal that FaZe didn't get to play their two best um, respawn maps. Um, and I think it really hurt them. And 
I think we should. I, I think now is the time we should talk about the the search and destroy stuff because I actually had forgotten that it happened in the final map of the the tournament, but because I I was I got sidetracked. And I I thought it happened earlier in the series, but the the ninja defuse callouts are that is some of the most pathetic. Like it's it's really one of the most pathetic things you can do at a call of duty tournament other than like literally just being like a hateful person because like it's, it just sucks. Like Ninja diffuses are objectively awesome. I still remember karma's meltdown diffuse, uh, like from like G 2013. That is a legitimately great thing that happened in call of duty esports history. And we were denied two Ninja diffuses in this series in, in the final map. And it possibly had an effect on this series. Like I know that it happened to each team, but that's not how things happen. You know, like just because it's not like in, in traditional sports, like a makeup call does not that doesn't really make up anything because momentum is a real thing and people can like, you know, ha you kind of snowball based on these things. So it was really, really frustrating. And I, I actually laughed out loud that miles told the fans to shut up and chance was so pissed. I have never heard no a comment. Yeah. I've never heard a commentator as mad, like, without like actually going off but he was just like no ice no ice just it is i just i can't believe it happened um i don't really know if we really talked about it but uh what do you think of the ninja diffuse drama or whatever i think it started stuff on twitter but i didn't really pay attention to that yeah no i mean chance has always been super blunt with that stuff i can think of other times on broadcast even earlier this year i think it was at major one that like um hastro and hex had to like go on stage or something and like make an announcement or whatever um and i remember chance saying something super blunt and funny then too along the same lines of like if you're doing this you're a loser um re regardless of all the drama and everything around that it's Obviously, you know, and some of our friends watching know exactly how much of a fan of a Ninja Diffuse I am. It's one of my favorite things to do in GBs and in clutch situations. Uh, it's really a gut feeling for me at this point in some situations, but um, I'm just a huge fan of it. And it's, it's you know, it's an exciting play. Um can completely change the momentum of a series like so you're especially you know like the karma I'm pretty sure that was a 1v4 ninja diffused in black ops 2 you're thinking of yeah. had that you, you know that just demoralizes the team that had four people up and nobody checking the bomb for seven seconds like um regardless of all the circumstances it's just there's there's really no solution in the current state of cod esports it's it's just something that's always going to happen at these events until there is a way to completely soundproof the players and not have them hear the crowd and then um you know there's the argument of like people being able to like feel the vibrations in their feet and stuff like that like it's it's just it's it sucks but it's just something that's so hard to control um that i i really don't know what the solution is now if I'm surprised that more pro players, what they don't do is they they like start the ninja to fuse 
and then like not even yeah. halfway in, maybe like two or three seconds in, they get off and like they start to pre-aim so that when the player hears the crowd, they start to come and then you kill them and then you're able to get the few the defuse. I'm surprised we don't see that more often. But you know, just regardless, this it's something that I don't have an answer for, and I, I, you know, again, unless we're completely soundproof booths, and even then, I think I saw Adam uh, Apicella like tweeting about it not being even even the booths aren't completely soundproof. So then, at that point, it's like, you know, what can you really do? But um, it obviously sucks. You can also all, all, always make the argument that wow, we're the fans are like watching these plays unfold and like you're hearing the crowd in your headset and then the player goes and checks the bomb. Like you can always make the argument that the player has the, you know, the internal clock or the teammates calling out the time and stuff like that. And they would have checked the bomb um, anyways. And like you can say that the crowd might not have affected them in some situations, but yeah. in, in other situations, it seems pretty obvious when um, the crowd is able to impact it. So again, I just, I think it's super tough and I really don't have a, a solid answer for what we can do to change it. It's just something, again, like I was just talking to with the like fake ninja. Um, I'm surprised we don't see that more often as a solution on land, but obviously we saw plenty of ninjas in like the qualifier matches. Um, I can think of like three or four off the top yeah. of my head on Desert Siege in particular, because obviously that's online and nobody is able to tell them um, what's going on. So um, it, you know, I, I hate to say that the crowd is entirely to blame in situations like that, but you know, it, it certainly it, it's just not ideal to have anybody doing it. And I wish, obviously, in, in a perfect world, the crowd is not giving away super important information like that. But until somebody comes up with a uh, solution that there's no workarounds or, or ways to get around what you're trying to stop there. Um, I'm not sure we're going to have a solid answer. Yeah. I, I don't really know what the solution is. If there is one, um, you know, I just, I was just super frustrated because I wanted it to go to a ninth game. Like I wanted it to get to uh, like a four, four. And I just felt like, we are the or not we but the fans are affecting the outcome of this game or they might have an effect on this game which is not something you want like of course like you want like the home field advantage or whatever but neither of these teams are like truly like because it happened to both teams so it's not even like just LAT were the beneficiaries of it it was literally like the fans just couldn't help themselves like it uh it just, I don't know. It's really frustrating. Um, I just think like fans just need to be more educated and more like reserved about these specific situations. Like if somebody goes off and goes on a 10 kill spree and hard point and you're losing your mind and like the, the players can hear you and everything, that's fine. Don't care. Like yeah. it has no effect on them really. Um, but like when you're actually like attempting to affect the game i think that's when it really um you know really like crosses a line for me um Definitely. but i i think you know that aside that was like a talking point in this series but it's far from like the most important thing i just think lat's dominance throughout the series was just incredible they won the first four maps of the series um and it really wasn't like 
super competitive. Um, they won the first hard point by more than 60 points. They dominated Berlin search six, two and Gavutu control was, um, you know, close three, two, as you would that expect. One, that one really went down the wire. I remember we were talking about it in the Twitter chat. Abizi was like in the tank. They, I'm pretty sure FaZe had offense. Yeah. yeah. Cause he was in the control point and he had that. It looked at least from my view, it looked like he had an accidental mantle, like yeah. trying to get into the tank or something like that. And I'm pretty sure that was in like a two V two situation in overtime. Yeah. With um, two seconds Gavutu. left. Yeah. So, like, that one really went down to the wire. And obviously, you know, Thieves end up winning it and go up 3-0, but that could easily be a moment that's overlooked. Like, if it's a BZ, he's able to stay down, play his life, um, and Thieves aren't able to, like, wall bang him through the tank or whatever, like, that that could go um, phase his way. Obviously, you know, they're at a disadvantage being on offense on Gavutu, and, you know, I don't remember exactly where the other person on phase was, so if they somehow get the kill on a BZ even without the mantle, like... It might not matter in the in the long run, but still, that that was a super close match, and obviously the closest map of the series of those first three maps of the grand finals. Yeah, I th I think he was jump peeking, trying to see if somebody was in cut or something. But I mean, that happens. That's just Call of Duty. Like everyone's had those automantles where you're like, "Oh, I didn't mean to do it," but it you know, it kind of sucks. But um, you know, like they were trying to make a huge comeback in that uh, situation so it's not like they lost the map just because of that you know like they lost it because they were down quite a bit of lives and it was the last few seconds of the round and and that happened um and then we had tuscan hardpoint lat they win by uh, 38 points and they go to match point they're up 4-0 um of course tim the Tapman predicts a sweep for lat at that moment so of course, Atlanta start the comeback. They just absolutely throttle LAT on Bokage Search. Arcides was world-starring every single one of the Thieves in that map. I think he had two 1v3s. Um, yep. He was just absolutely ridiculous. Berlin Control, uh, another close control map. Atlanta is able to take it this time. And then we get to Tuscan Search. Obviously, that's where the Ninja Diffuse stuff happens and... Um, you know, just an incredible map goes down to round 11 and the thieves, um, you know, pretty much just wipe out phase, uh, in round 11, but, um, overall an incredible series, uh, even though it, it only went seven games. Um, but I, I just like with that win, LAT really cemented like it wasn't a fluke that they beat FaZe in the winners finals. It wasn't a fluke that they won major four or that they, you know, beat Boston or beat Optic or whatever. They were quite literally the best team at the end of the year. When it mattered the most, they were undoubtedly better than all 11 CDL teams. Well, maybe not the Paris Legion. They might have been peaking at the right time, but they just didn't get their chance. But for, for, you know, whatever it was, like August 7th, um, you know, Sunday, August 7th, they were undoubtedly much better than Atlanta FaZe, and they are better than any other CDL team. And they deserve all of the credit and the props for that that exist in this world. They were just absolutely incredible. Yeah, can't argue it. They beat FaZe four times. Um, I will say, though, we kind of flew through those last couple maps of the grand yeah. finals. Um, the one moment 
also we were talking about the BZ and the map three and map four. The moment that stuck out to me was uh, heading into the P5 on Tuscan Hardpoint phase. We're up about it was. Uh, I'm looking at the clip right now. So in this clip, it's 52 seconds into P5, and LA Thieves are up 214 to 212. Um, so, you know, you take those eight points away. FaZe has roughly like a six-point lead heading into P5. Um, the play that stuck out to me here was just Selium was on a six-streak, um, or a five-streak, actually, uh, at the start of the clip. And then I remember he gets the sixth kill, and it takes him a while to get the seventh, but he just... Uh, in my opinion, and I think even they mentioned it on the broadcast, it just felt like to me he was playing, uh, I well, he was clearly playing for the streaks, but I felt like in that scenario he was playing just uh, a little too slow and it might have costed FaZe in the long run, where obviously his mindset, and I mean, I'm not doubting the MVP, because first off, you know, he was named MVP and, you know, he was the best player in Vanguard, which uh, I've been pretty vocal about and how much I appreciate Telium and love watching him play, but in this particular instance, I felt like um, it was just a little slow going for the glide bomb there, but in hindsight, or just in in his view, he's trying to get that glide bomb. If his team's able to get in and contest, um, and he has the glide bomb for the P1 rotation on Tuscan, we saw multiple times throughout this weekend and the end of the season just crazy endings on uh, the first hard point on Tuscan there, and a glide bomb is just so advantageous for that because that that hard point is just so wide open. Um, so I, I see what Selium was going for, obviously. It just it turns out that um, the rest of the squad wasn't able to help Selium, um, you know, like get in the hill for Selium while he's trying to pick up um, the glide bomb. And then Deeves are just sitting in there racking up the time to win that game. So um, those were two, like, key moments for me, the ABZ, uh Auto Mantle or whatever happened there in the Gavutu control, and then the Selium playing his streaks there. Like, obviously, not playing hindsight or anything like that, but, you know, if, if those situations turn out differently, who knows exactly what happens? Because then, like you say, we go into uh, the Bokage Search and Destroy, which was just the R-City show with the two 1v3s, and then the Berlin control was super close. Um, Atlanta had to win two offenses when they were down... 2-1, they were on round in championship point, and they win two offenses on Berlin control, which is pretty impressive too. Um, so you're looking at those other two maps. Before that, that's, that's possibly, if both those other ones go their way, then we're looking at phase being up 4-2 uh, heading into the seventh map. So obviously that's a whole lot of what-ifs and everything there, but those those are just two key moments that stood out to me um, in the grand finals that, that might have went over other people's heads. Yeah, I think the selling part is important because it is like some people are going to say costed or whatever. I think, you know, it just took too long. Like at yeah. a certain point, he needed to just cut it and like, all right, like I got to go. Like I, I don't have anybody coming to bait for me. So like I'm just here on an island. I just need to do whatever I can to like break the hill and like set up or set up for a last second break or whatever. But he was um you know just focusing too much on the glide and that happens i think that's probably happened you know dozens of times a season where a player just gets 
too focused. They get the tunnel vision on whatever streaks or whatever they're trying to do, and it costs them in the long run. It's probably happened so many times this season, but because it happened in game four of the grand finals of champs, like it is a little more heightened. People are more aware of it. People, more people are watching, obviously. Um, so, you know, it happened and um, I, you know, like you said, like you really can't question the MVP. Like he, he played incredible all the way through. He played incredible through champs. I think he had the highest KD of anybody at champs. I think he had like a 1.36, if I'm not mistaken. Like, so it, you know, it's obviously, um, that he's incredible, but yeah, that, that one moment was not great. And neither was the ABZ auto mantle that, um, you know, could have, you know, made things happen a little bit differently uh, in control. Uh, but this series, uh, like I said, just incredible. Like I just, uh, you know, it wasn't like, it, it, it's not a, a super tight series in the sense, like it didn't go to map nine, uh, didn't even get to map eight, but all the series were interesting in their own way. And I think it was a, an incredible way to finish out Vanguard. Um, you know, Vanguard probably didn't deserve a, that good of an ending, but uh, it, you know, I, I, I will say, and I've been trying to write this opinion piece for like the last two days, but despite all of the faults that Vanguard has, uh, or maybe even because of some of the faults that it has, like this game was just entertaining. Like it, it delivered like the actual... Uh, competitive like environment that we really want um which i i think is important obviously there's got to be some balance right there has to be a balance between you know how entertaining and competitive the matches are so vanguard did an incredible job in that regard but there also has to be on this side you know like the players have to feel rewarded by good decisions and punished by bad decisions and like they can't really be like punished for good decisions which sometimes happens in vanguard especially with spawns and whatnot um so there needs to be better balance and hopefully mw2 uh will uh deliver on that but um i think all in all this was a, a great way to end off the season um is there uh any of the other teams that you want to talk about now uh because we we've really talked about thieves and phase rightfully so uh so far this show they they finished uh, first and second, respectively, at champs. Um, by far, the two best teams at the end of the season. I think FaZe, uh, you know, definitely the most consistent team all the way through. They went to four of the five grand finals, um, finished third in the other tournament that they didn't go to the grand finals in. Um, and then Thieves, uh, the only team to win two tournaments this season. So, uh, you want to talk about any of the other teams that competed at champs this weekend? Yeah, I, I think a decent segue here is just to wrap up on FaZe, really. Mm -hmm. um, we, just because we've talked about half of their matches, since half of their matches were against the Thieves. Um, for the other half of the matches that they played, it, it started out against New York in the first round, which was a match I was incredibly excited for uh, heading into Champs, and it certainly you know, lived up to the expectations there because Atlanta had the reverse sweep uh, just to stay in the winner's bracket. Like, if, if New York's able to close out um, that that series against FaZe in 3-0 or 3-1 fashion without even, you know, uh, having the reverse sweep there, we're, again, looking at a totally different tournament, just like if, you know, Boston was able to. 
uh, close out in Game Five, Round Eleven against the Thieves. So that was that was a super entertaining series with Atlanta pulling off um, the reverse sweep, and then in their other winners bracket match that we haven't talked about, they go uh, to Game Five, Round Eleven against Seattle Surge, which we did kind of briefly talk about. Um, them versus Surge being a tough matchup for Atlanta throughout the season, but this in this situation, uh, Atlanta was able to close it out without winning either of the hard points. The two hard points, it was Tuscan hard point 250 to 248. That's when Pred just had the, the WTF moment on P1 Tuscan just going bonkers. And um, Mac also had a, a, an important streak of kills. I think he had like a two-piece with a team kill. Uh, from Selium and then another three-piece in there that might not have been as highlighted as, you know, the Pred plays, uh, just because, you know, Pred was actually on, like, player uh, van screens and stuff. But um, that was a crazy ending to that map. If you guys haven't seen it, definitely go check out that map, map one between Atlanta and Seattle. Um, you know, watch the whole series, obviously, but that map in particular was just a nutty ending. And then the other hard point in that series was Berlin, and it went 250-244. Um, and that was one again where just it felt like Seattle was able to just steal one um, with another wild ending. And I think even our city said after the match uh, in the postgame interview that they won the series like 5-0. Um, but jokes aside, it was a super close series with those two um, wild hard points that Seattle won. But in the end, Atlanta is able to take that one to advance to um, the winners' finals against the Thieves. I think that kind of wraps up the phase segment. I will just throw it out there. I had it up, and then I just lost it. Um, here it is. Crone tweeted, like, uh, tournament earnings for all the teams throughout the year. Um, obviously, we'll just mention the Thieves because we've kind of wrapped up on them. They won $1.5 million. It was $1,520,000. Uh, 1.2 million of that comes from champs and 200,000 of that comes from major four, but um, still that's their final number. They were at the top and then Atlanta wins 1,102,500. So 1.1 million and change without winning a tournament. I think that's pretty impressive. We've talked about how consistent they were throughout the whole year um, and all that. So just wanted to throw that number out there, but um Back to what you were really talking about was, I think, wrapping up this phase Seattle series brings us into the team uh, I want to talk about next is just Seattle. Um, we were mentioning earlier in the show when we were just briefly going over the London-Seattle series, just how inconsistent Seattle had been. Obviously, they won Major 3, which was a cool storyline after that, kind of. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but they just weren't playing very well. So a lot of people had low expectations for Seattle heading into this event, but they were able to show up and they end up coming in third at this tournament. Um, as we kind of have mentioned indirectly now a couple of times, Pred in particular just had a couple of absolutely memorable and historic highlight reel plays at this tournament. He was also named Rookie of the Year. Um, the CDL for the first time as an official Rookie of the Year award now. Um, and Pred has the honor, rightfully so, of uh, being that first CDL Rookie of the Year. Feels like it was really 
you know, logically was between him and Sib because they were the two rookies who won a tournament this year. But Pred was the MVP of Zed tournament, so makes sense that he gets the nod over Sib in the end. But him in particular, Pred was just playing out of his mind this weekend, and I think that was a huge reason why uh, Seattle ended up taking a you know somewhat surprising third place finish here. Yeah, definitely a surprise. I think if if you would have had people predict the top three, it would have probably been in some form of optic phase and thieves. Uh, maybe with New York sprinkled in there. I don't think a lot of people would have predicted uh, Seattle to um, be among the top three, but like it's hard to say that they didn't deserve it because they definitely did. Um, you know, they did not have a necessarily an easy path to, um, you know, like the actual uh, whatever losers finals. Um, I'm, I'm bringing up the bracket, uh, real quick. Um, but definitely they had to, they had to beat optic, um, which was, uh, you know, a feat in itself and definitely with like, I don't know how much they can hear of the fans, but I'm sure they understand like going into the match. Like we either beat optic and like send them home or like we go home. It's a, it's a big match for them and uh they they were able to beat optic and eliminate them and i'm sure that was very disappointing for optic to go out before losers finals they didn't get their chance at atlanta who they had you know had a lot of success against this season and uh play lat in the grand final but um i think it's just a testament to seattle like at certain points in the season i doubted like what the long-term future was for the team because i understood you know you want to you know, get like experience for these guys like Pred and Sib. Like they've been playing Call of Duty forever, but this is their first time on this stage and like in this big of a moment. And I think they shine particularly bright this season. Um, and then you had Accuracy and Mac, two guys that were basically pushed away from their previous rosters. Accuracy was benched and, you know, he came from Minnesota. Mac was, you know, on the edge of being benched last season by New York and uh, found his way to Seattle. And I just, I think it was, um, you know, just a perfect storm for all of these guys, uh, no pun intended, about the surge because um, you had... I don't know, maybe it just works. Like you have these young guys and then you have veterans or at least one vet. Um, and we saw it with the Dallas Empire in 2020 where they had Crim6 and they had um, Clayster. And then they had a bunch of young guys who hadn't really been uh, in Call of Duty for that long or, you know, who had. But, you know, like these guys that are, you know, under 20 years old, they're pretty young. Um, maybe they can learn a few things. Same with Seattle. They have two rookies, and then you put them with accuracy, the Iceman himself, and Mac, who just a few years ago was pretty much in the same spot that Pred and Sib were in, uh, but he's kind of been weathered by the CDL. He had to go through uh, online COD and MW. Um, he faced uh, you know the opportunity to get benched a, a few times with New York, and I, I just think it, it worked out in the end for Seattle because, again, they stuck to their roster. This um, this coaching staff and the, the GM, Novus, he, um, they, they did an incredible job at, one, constructing it and then just sticking with them. You know, it doesn't matter. Okay, they went on a pretty big roller coaster. They were, you know, like, I think they went on like a nine-game losing streak at some point in the season, then they won major three. So everything's all good. And then they went on a five match losing streak. So, uh, things, you know, went, uh, you know, up and down for them. But at the end of the day, 
they stuck by them and they kind of rewarded it. Um, of course, they would have wanted to get to champs, which would have been an incredible story. Um, you know, not only because Seattle has been absolutely horrendous the past two seasons, but they would also have been playing Octane in the grand finals, who was definitely the franchise player of the team over the past uh, two seasons. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get that, but um, definitely a, a well-deserved congratulations to the Seattle Surge for even making it this far. Yeah, that, that, no, Octane versus Seattle and Champs Grand Finals would have been an incredible storyline. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, end of the day, like you were kind of saying, if, if you tell Seattle Surge fans after the first two seasons that they're going to end this season with a third place finish in uh, COD Champs, they're probably like, yeah, I don't believe you. Or they're probably like, yeah, I'll take that. Um, so obviously massive improvement year over years for Seattle as a franchise and, uh, the future's looking bright for them. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, we'll probably talk roster mania in other episodes, but, um, just based on the contracts, I'm assuming they will have the one plus one option with Sib and Pred just because it was their rookie year. So they're, I would be very surprised if Seattle doesn't, you know, extend the player option for those two. Yeah. Um, it just comes down to what the contract status of Mac and accuracy would be and how they decide to go from there. Yeah. I believe that they all have team options. Um, even Nikki D, which is obviously he's a pretty important part. He won Challengers Champs this season, so Got congratulations. D, yeah. Same with uh, Exceed. I don't know the whole roster, but um, off the top of my head, but congratulations to them. They Barack were was on the team too. Yeah, they they upset uh, Toronto Ultras NA Academy team, who had not lost a map at Challengers Finals before the Grand Finals, and then. You know what the the Challengers finals did? They had two best of fives because uh, because Exceeds team actually went from the losers bracket and had to win two best of fives. Uh, I know it probably confused the hell out of a lot of fans, but <laughs> they were able to do it. That, that team was classic Exceed Brack and Mohawk. I, I believe oh, yeah. I saw on Twitter that Mohawk won back to back Challengers champs now. So yep. shout out to those guys. It was pretty pretty cool. Yep, uh, it should be interesting to see which of those guys ends uh, up on a CDL roster. Of course, we saw Brack and um, and Exceed. They were substitutes. I think Exceed actually played some CDL matches, um, and then obviously Nikki D is a staple in the COD community. And Mohawk, you know, back to back, I think probably has earned it this time. He actually even beat his uh, old team Toronto Ultra in yeah. Academy. So uh, a big win for them. Um, but back to champs, uh, one of the teams that I think we need to talk about, um, we've kind of mentioned them a few times, but it's Optic Texas. Um, they finish this champs with a fourth place finish. Uh, they win $160,000 for that placing. Um, they lost to the Seattle Surge in the loser's bracket semifinals um, after getting knocked down to the loser's bracket uh, by the the thieves in a sweep, um, you know I, I think it was interesting. Optic were a part of the only two sweeps of this tournament. They were swept by the thieves and they swept uh, New York in what might be the longest delayed series ever. Um, just I think it ended up. I, I tweeted it. I don't know at the top of my head. I I believe it was one fifty seven. Yeah, so an hour and fifty seven minutes between uh, the second and third map. Um, 
like we all thought it was kind of a joke at first. At least I did um, because people thought that uh, Crim6 was just trying to ice optic and maybe stall their momentum a little bit. But it turns out like the entire daisy chains uh, that they were playing on on main stage just kind of stopped working all of a sudden. And it caused uh, a nearly two hour delay that honestly it felt so much longer because it was in the middle of a series and it and it was champs and it was not the first long delay of the weekend we had another hour and a half delay during uh what series was this um it was between the surge and second or second and third i wrote it down in the notes hold on it was yeah it was it was after the first match yeah just horrible horrible um that was a server issue because apparently now LAN is like not LAN and is online and there was a server outage in Warzone and Vanguard and something. I don't know all the details of that, but that was surprising to me. Well, apparently it's been that way for three seasons because yeah. <laughs> PC Omega lol. Yeah. Um, PC master race debated. <laughs> uh, just, I, I mean, obviously you don't want that to happen at any tournament, but especially champs when it's the biggest event of the season there's more fans there than uh usual more people watching at home than usual i think that the the delay between optic and new york it cost the mainstream like 20 30 000 viewers because i mean who's gonna wait around two hours like if you put on like a browns game and it gets delayed two hours i'm probably not watching it or like i'm tuning in later during the game um, well, I mean, I might not watch the Browns at all this season, depending on what happens, but, uh, <laughs> beside the point, let's get back to optic because the most popular team in the league, of course, they were the first major champions. They won their, their home tournament uh, of sorts. Uh, it was in Arlington, Texas in their backyard, pretty much. Uh, they win the first major, they, you know, kind of take a little dip during the second part of the season. And then in the second half of the season, Illy deals with this thumb injury, which costs him the entire third section of the, the season. He, he gets knocked out of the Pro-Am Classic, and then he doesn't play in the Major 3 qualifiers or Major 3. Then he comes back in the beginning of the uh, Major 4 qualifiers, and they're they weren't able to really pick up on it. They did have like a decent finish at major four. I think they might've gotten fourth there as well. Um, maybe a sign of things to come, but I, I thought maybe just with continued practice, a little more time, a little more, um, you know, a little more just like space for him to improve. I thought they would be able, I thought they would win the tournament, um, which I was obviously very wrong about. Uh, but what do you, what do you think of optic and their season as a whole? Because it started off really great. A lot of high hopes and then it ended with kind of a classic optic champs finish with a you know like a pretty disappointing result yeah i mean looking at the bracket though a lot of like i'm not super surprised they came and forth just based on how everything uh shook down like you know you look at it um you see they beat the Ultra 3-2, that was a super close series. We've talked about that um, a couple times now. Just, you know, those teams playing against each other. No surprise there. It came down to the wire. But Optic's able to um, 
come out and actually seal the deal there to move on. Then they just get punched right in the mouth by Thieves. I mean, there's no other way to say it. They just got smoked in that series. But they drop down to the loser's bracket after that, and they're playing the subliners, who we, we've talked again about their run just to qualify for champs. They had the opportunity to, you know, beat FaZe in the first round. Um, they get reverse swept, and then they're coming off their own reverse sweep because, if I remember correctly, London went up 2-0. Yeah, so New York got reverse swept by Atlanta, and then they reversed London, or reverse sweep against London to set up this matchup against Optic, which is a pretty entertaining matchup with some cool storylines there between Krim versus Skump. And it's um, a matchup here where we see, kind of like you said, with the two sweeps being both Optic um, on other sides of it, but nonetheless, um, this was a pretty... Uh, strong performance out of Optic. The the first hard point, 250-237, that's a close map, comes down to the wire. The search, 6-2, that's a little eye-opening. That was probably not as close. Then they have that delay, and you could easily have seen a situation where Optic just got super frustrated from the delay. New York comes out, catches fire, and they're able to pull off a reverse sweep, but Optic doesn't let that happen. They close out. Um, the series right there, and Scump's able to eliminate Krim from champs. Um, which, again, that's a pretty cool storyline. And then they just go up against a Seattle team that we didn't, I didn't even mention this when we were just talking about Seattle, but Seattle, I believe they went 9-1 and one in hardpoint throughout champs. And the only hardpoint they lost was the last hardpoint against Atlanta that eliminated them from the tournament. So... Optic lose two hard points to Seattle, who at that point were uh, 6-0 and in hard point heading into the match, and then they end up being 8-0 and in hard point after playing against Optic. It, it's kind of hard to, um, you know, go up against a team that's playing literally undefeated hard point to that point. Um, so I I'll, obviously that's not I'm I'm not saying that as an excuse. That's I mean it's just a fact, and that's something optic fans might not want to hear. That it's obviously you know one of the reasons why they might not have been able to advance and get to um, the championship or the next day, whatever the situation may be. But it's it's a stat that can't be ignored. That Seattle was playing just really strong hardpoint, and that that made them a tough matchup for Optic. And it's one where you know Seattle's able to win the two hard points and take the series to eliminate Optic in fourth. Yeah, and especially Optic. I don't really know why it is. Um, I I think I think logically you would say if you're trying to bring in a new player or a player in this case, like Illy, who has, who was a part of this roster and then kind of was away from the, the team, like in the, the matches and the practices for a month or a month and a half, you would think search and destroy would probably be the hardest one to get back to like where it was and uh, you know, improve from that standpoint. But in optics case, and this was in the qualifying matches, this was in major four, and this was at champs. They really struggled in the response. And they so they went two and four in hard point at champs, one and three in control, and four and one in search. So like wow. this is a very uh atypical optic because we usually see 
okay, you're a one, three, four team, maybe sometimes a one, two, three team, you know, like that's just how they are. But for them, like their best scenario, I guess was like two, four, five. Like that's, that's not a great, uh, recipe for success for this team. Um, you would expect them to be good in search, like personally, because Shotzi, Illy, Dashy, like, and Skump's always been good at search, but like the, the three other guys have kind of made a, a name for like in the search community as these really good search and destroy players. Um, but I have absolutely no idea why they struggled so much uh, in the respawns because I know that, um, and I'll look it up. Uh, so before champs, they were, um, so they were before champs with Illy. So this was since he came back during the qualifying matches, 500 in hard point. They had an 80% win percentage in search and destroy, and they were one in six in control. So like, I, I just don't know what the, the reasoning for that is. Uh, I would love to hear what, you know, the players and Rambo and Sender have to say about that because, um, you know, that's a, obviously a really disappointing way to end their season, especially when they were the best control team in the league earlier in the year and were a, uh, you know, a competent, a good hard point team. Um, I, I just don't know why that is that they suddenly started to struggle in two of the game modes that they had success in earlier in the season, and they were somehow able to get magically better at search despite that. Um, yeah. But uh, just, uh, you know, I guess we'll just wrap up on Optic. Like, really disappointing for them. Obviously, fourth place in general would not be a disappointing result. Like Seattle, it, had they not even gotten third but gotten fourth, I think that's a success for Seattle. Um, the same with like New York or Toronto, had they beaten uh, Optic or Seattle and they gotten they had gotten fourth, I think that's a success. But for Optic, because they won the first major of the season, they set the the expectations that they set that bar so high. Everyone thought like, oh, maybe this is Optic's year. And it turns out it really wasn't. And um, I, I do think the injury had a lot to do with that. I think when yeah. you take a player out for a month and a half and then you put them back in, like that's not a, a you know, a real great part of your success. But um, I, I think it's still a disappointment that they were not able to even try to face Atlanta or the Thieves like in the top three. Yeah, I, I think obviously we've said this several times now on the podcast that anytime when optic isn't lifting the trophy at the end of the tournament, it's a disappointment for the green wall. There's yeah. just no way around that. Um, but in my situation or just in my head, I feel like taking into consideration Illy's injury and just everything that transpired, they, they made saying they made the best out of the, I'm going to say that they made the best out of a bad situation Obviously, again, you know, making the best out of the bad situation would be them still winning regardless of that. But, mm -hmm. you know, in the end, they, they did what they could here. Um, again, I think we'll talk more in another episode about roster mania and stuff. But I feel like I could very easily see this optic roster sticking together heading into um, Modern Warfare 2 despite the result at the end of the season. Um, the only thing that I could see changing that would be... Uh, Skump deciding to retire if that's what he ends up deciding to do. But again, um, that's another topic for another show.
Yeah. I, I'll just say before we move on, uh, Shotzi and Illy are free agents, so Optic does not have their team option. Optic has team options for Skump and Dashy. So if if the players decide to make a change and not retirement, but just uh, make roster changes, then you know Shotzi and Illy would probably be the you know the, they have the ability to without the team um, because Dashy and Skump would obviously need to be bought out, traded, whatever um, you know. So uh, I think it'll be interesting. It, I don't really know where they could go, but it's always fun to think about uh, where, you know, elite players could end up. And also Hydra is a free agent. So, you know, maybe you just <laughs> build this God squad of, of these little uh, submachine gun players. But um, let's talk about New York real quick. Uh, and we'll try to breeze through this a little quickly, uh, a yeah. little more quickly, just so, this isn't an hour and a half long episode, but uh, New York, they had a really good end to the season um, as far as Major Four. They finished second. They qualified for champs despite uh, despite starting uh, the tournament in 11th place. Um, a lot of credit to that team for being so resilient and you know getting to the grand finals of a major when they literally needed to get to the grand finals. Um, so a lot of credit to them, but, you know, uh, a rather disappointing end to their season. They lose in Game 5 to Atlanta. Uh, they beat London uh, in Game 5. Uh, I think you said that was a reverse sweep, um, if I'm re- remembering correctly. And then yep. they get uh, kind of pub-stomped uh, by t- Optic uh, despite that long delay. Um, you know, uh, I don't know what the future of the roster is because they showed a lot of potential over the past uh, month or uh, month and a half. But... Um, it was it was exciting to watch them. I don't really know what's going to happen with Krim. Um, you know, he said this was pretty much like his worst year ever. And typically, when players start saying that, it doesn't really bode well for their long term futures. Um, but um, what are your final thoughts on New York after a really up and down season for them? Yeah, I'll try to rapid fire through these the, the bottom four teams here. If you have Sounds anything good. you want to say, nope. Uh, after that, we, you can just hop in. But yeah, for New York, I think um, using the same phrasing here, but they kind of made the best out of a bad situation. Multiple roster changes throughout the year. Seems like they kind of found found the formula towards the end of the year. Um, the Cinderella run is always going to be something that I remember. Just you know, I know I'm a a bit different than other COD fans where they might not remember you know something like this that didn't result in a championship. But just the fact they were able to go on that run in the Major Four qualifiers and Major Four itself, get second at the event. Um, again, they would have liked to win, but just the fact they were able to qualify for champs and be in this position to have us talking about them on this show, because there was a really very real possibility we're not even talking about them in this recap. Um, that I think that's, you know a reward in itself. And obviously, you know, telling the players that is a different story there because they're all going for the championship at the end of the day. But um, just just looking back on the season, it, it was a difficult one filled with a lot of challenges and roster changes. And I, I did enjoy watching this this final iteration that we saw at the end of the year. I thought it was an entertaining squad um, that had a lot of potential. I think 
you know, the the end result with Scump taking down Krim at Champs is a cool storyline, but you don't want to tell New York fans that. Um, and again, they, they were close to beating Atlanta in the winner's bracket finals, and then they were close to being swept before even having that matchup against Optic in, in their match against London. So um, up and down season for New York that ended with a cool storyline. And I think heading into next year, um, what Hydra does is obviously huge for the organization because um, – when you have players like Clay last year, had Clay for a bit this year, and, and Krim, obviously it, it's tough to say they aren't the face of the franchise, but um, despite their past accolades, I just feel like, you know, Hydra is has shown he has the talent to be a player who is the face of the franchise, and it would be um, very surprising to me if, if multiple other franchises aren't trying to acquire him, especially if he is an unrestricted free agent. So it will be interesting to see what how that affects um New York heading into next year. Um, the other team that came top six was Toronto. Disappointing year for Toronto all around, in my opinion, just based off of what we saw from this exact lineup in Cold War. Um, they they had some moments. I, I think it was at the actual Toronto Major. They came in third, if I remember correctly. Um, but other than that, it was just a lot of what ifs for this squad. They struggled very notably in hard point in particular. I think even at champs this year, I wrote it down in our notes that they didn't win a search. They beat Boston here. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure they went 0-4 at search at champs this year, which if, if you're just thinking about Toronto from the past, especially last year with this same lineup, they, they were a super strong search team. So that's kind of surprising. Um, if in fact I'm correct with that statistic. So um, I just, I think this squad has a ton of talent. You know, I've I've spoken very highly of Kleenex multiple times now. Um, I just think this, this could be the last time we saw this roster just based off of uh, this performance, a top six finish. You probably just expect a little bit more out of this squad based off of past success. And uh, will be interesting to see what they do because I believe they announced heading into this year that they signed new contracts for the team because I believe they announced Toronto announced um, in their tweet that like the team was signed through 2023. Yep. So um, will be interesting to see if Toronto runs it back or if they make a, a change, especially when you have somebody like Scrappy on the bench who I, I think very highly of. Um, not only from an entertaining perspective, but he he's just shown he's he's a talented up and coming amateur. So uh, Toronto has some decisions to make in this offseason just based off of recent performance. But I think a top six finish at champs is probably a little disappointing for the organization, especially considering they came in second at champs uh, last year. Then for the final two teams, we got Boston and London coming in top eight. Um, I don't really have much to say about either of these teams. We've talked at length about London's situation, um, you know, with Gizmo dealing with personal issues, then comes back and they look really strong and then they kind of struggle at major four after looking strong in the qualifiers. So um, this was just a team that was up and down, looked good in the beginning of the year, had a little stretch towards the end of the year where they looked possibly in form again, just didn't result in anything beyond a top eight finish at champs. Um, despite, you know, they, they played two tough series that won game five um, at champs, losing to Surge and Subliners. So 
Um, not much for me to say about London beyond that. And then Boston, again, another team I've talked at length, just them making champs in their first year with the whole new franchise situation is a win in itself for me or in my eyes. Um, again, not something the players want to hear, but that's just, you know, the way I look at it is it's a success for the franchise, despite, um, players still wanting to win at the end of the day. But again, um, I already mentioned Boston coming super close to taking down the thieves in the first round of this tournament, potentially completely flipping the script on this entire event. So, um, that was interesting. And then who did they end up losing to Toronto, which, I don't have much to say about that. It's just, I think, you know, Boston, they have some decisions to make as well based on the roster. Um, They certainly, you know, I I think Capsidal is a really talented rookie. He might have had, you know, he he had a lot of pop-off moments, but he had some moments where he might have been a little inconsistent. Um, It's just the with Vivid in the roster, they looked a lot better. So um, Boston will have some decisions to make, whether who they're going to keep around, what they're going to do heading into MW2. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. But um, I think most of the bottom four is really it, like those are the teams that are most susceptible to roster changes, of course, like other than the teams that didn't make champs. Um, but like I don't really expect Atlanta to make a roster change. I don't. Like I would be stunned if the thieves made one. Optic might, it you know, it, it's kind of. I would say like of the top four, like that's probably the the least um, stable uh, situation right now, just because they finished fourth and there were some uh, pretty disappointing parts of the season. Um, but like you said, like Hydra, he's the only free agent of that starting roster, uh, and all of the stuff that I'm saying about. The contract status, it's all uh, Ben Nissim's, uh his doc that he put together. Um, he's kind of tracking all of the players that have options this season or their free agents or whatnot. So um, of the subliners, Hydra is a free agent, which is interesting because he's kind of the cornerstone you would you would think. He's the guy that you would want to build around. So it'll be interesting to see if um, New York can actually keep him and build around him. Uh, as far as Toronto, they all have team options. Like you said, they signed new contracts uh, before the season. And um, it seems that it, that doesn't mean that they'll all be on the roster next season. Probably not. I would expect um, this roster to be different by the, the time the NW season, uh, NW2 season starts, uh, but they get to sell them or, you know, teams get to buy them out, trade them, what whatever uh, happens there. Uh, London, they're the complete opposite. Everybody's a free agent on their roster, so I am certain that this roster will not be the same next year as it was this year, um, but it'll be, I don't know, like, they probably need a change. I... Maybe if Afro wants to go to Toronto, like there is that European connection. So there is always the possibility that, um, you know, like these European, these English guys end up with Toronto. That seems to be a little bit of a trend right now. Uh, and then the Boston Breach, like you said, it's a win that they got there. They qualified over teams that have been building their rosters for two to three years. Um you know, not a, a great result for them in the actual tournament, but for being pretty much the leftovers of the teams, um, nobody had picked up those players 
before Boston decided to get involved in the CDL. I think it's a, you know, it's just a, a moral victory, um, even though people kind of hate moral victories, but um, definitely something to be proud of if you're part of that Boston Breach um, organization. Um, let's uh, just say that the MW2 uh, beta dates, uh, they were revealed this past weekend. Um, if you watched Champs, you could get, uh, you could have gotten uh, a, like a, a beta drop. Bank was not so lucky. He did not get the beta uh, drop. Um, but Weekend 1, uh, which is a PlayStation exclusive, um, early access uh, September 16th to the 17th and the 18th uh, through the 20th. And then Weekend 2 is cross-play open beta September 22nd to 23rd. And then, uh, th so that's Xbox P and PC and PlayStation. Uh, so early access for Xbox and PC, open beta for PlayStation on those days. And then September 24th to the 26th is the open beta for all the platforms. So PC, Xbox, PlayStation, all of that. Um, so that that's the, the beta stuff. And then the Call of Duty next uh, live stream, which is uh, a pretty much the reveal for uh, MW2. But, um, you know, according to uh, Stephanie Snowden, who's kind of like the PR manager, if I'm not mistaken. Um, she is basically saying that this is bigger than just a multiplayer reveal because this is part of like the entire Call of Duty universe, essentially, which is like MW2, Warzone, Warzone Mobile, all of that. So that's on September 15th. Um, and um, people that are really looking forward to all of the new COD games, um, Call of Duty next September 15th. Um, that does it for me. Uh, do you have anything? Eh, what? Oh, the predictions? Yeah. So I believe that we agreed to champs grand finals being worth 10 extra points. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think I win. Um, in all seriousness, you beat me fair and square this season. Um, although I would like to blame the London Royal Ravens for absolutely disappointing me throughout the entire year. Um, you refused to pick them for pretty much the entire season and I got caught up in the bandwagon and I think that what is what cost me the title. Um, you ended up going uh, 11 and three at champs and I went 10 and four at champs and your total score was 116 and 80 on the season. I was 109 and 87. So I think if I would have went, um, eight different ways on London, I probably would have won, but, uh, congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's cool. You know, in all, in all seriousness, um, we've tried to do the predictions on Twitter and stuff, but um, moving ahead through further seasons uh, of the CDL and whatnot, um, I think it's going to be cool to look back on um, what the most successful, like, records and stuff that you and I have as we're doing these show, hopefully for many years to come. So, um Obviously, I'll have these. I have these notes in my Google Drive, so we'll have the record. But this was the first year we didn't do it with Mike Merchant, so it was just you and I this year. And uh, we'll we'll keep keeping track of it for future CDL seasons to come and see um, what the best record we're able to come up with is. Maybe Vanguard was the most predictable COD. Maybe we'll be <laughs> under fifty percent next year. You never know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, 
I think that about does it. This was a little bit longer episode than usual, but this was also the biggest tournament of the year. So you kind of expect that uh, sort of thing out of us. Um, make sure to subscribe, like, follow uh, the podcast on whatever platform you're listening or watching on. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, um, you know, all the platforms basically. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, he's at jbink with two Ks. I'm at Prez Byers. And the podcast Twitter is at Ego Chow Podcast. Uh, the next show is uh, TVD. Um, Roster Mania officially starts, I believe, on Monday morning. So like 12.01 or whatever uh, on Monday the 15th, if I'm not mistaken. It's basically a week after Champs ends. Um, teams have to uh, exercise their options on the players that they want to exercise their options on. Uh, and free agency pretty much begins um, a week or a week and a half after Champs. So um, I don't really know when we're going to do an episode, but if things start dropping, we will be doing an episode. Like if Skump decides to retire or Skump gets signed by the Vegas Legion, that's something we would probably do a podcast for. Um, but, you know, we'll let you know. That's why you should follow us on Twitter. Um, or if you're just uh, followed the, the feeds, it'll pop up whenever we do an episode. So uh, that about does it for me. Uh, Bink, take it away. Yep. Thank you guys, as always, for all the support and for tuning in. Um, I know. A lot of people might not have enjoyed Vanguard as a game this year, but I personally extremely enjoyed watching it. And there was a ton of entertaining matches that I loved dissecting and, you know, analyzing for you guys on this show. So I truly hope uh, you guys enjoyed the content we were able to provide. And I, I just, you know, thank you guys for all the support throughout this entire season and just throughout our entire time doing this podcast. Uh, looking forward to bringing you guys more throughout this offseason. Like Preston said, we don't know when uh, we'll be going live. But, you know, when news drops, just plan on uh, hearing from us. And like he said, following us on Twitter and whatnot is the best way to know when we're going to be going live again. So, um, that, uh, yeah, that's a wrap on the Vanguard season. Looking forward to roster mania. And as always, remember to send the chow.